Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Welcome to Episode 4, Series 2 of the Women's Running Podcast. I'm Esther Newman, Editor of Women's Running, and in this episode I speak to Sabrina Pace-Humphreys. Sabrina has become a bit of a media star recently, and her surprise and joy at this are just lovely. As one of the founders of Black Trail Runners, she's been very vocal about promoting inclusivity and diversity in running, and by the time I spoke to her she had already been a cover star on a <clears throat> different running magazine. She is so inspiring, so brilliant and so warm. In many ways, Sabrina has been one of the most fun conversations I've had, but also one of the most revealing. She challenges me and us to have the balls to get out there and actually do something. Not just listen, not just act surprised when we're told that few black runners are taking up trail running or even running, and to not just accept the lack of diversity at the start line of races. She wants us to demand change from event directors and to question decisions and to question our own motives. She is so passionate and so wonderful. I found my conversation with her deeply moving, as I'm sure you will too. She talked here not just about setting up Black Trail Runners, but also her history with running, taking on the Marathon de Sable and besting it, and how small steps lead to massive change. This episode is sponsored by Runderwear a small brand in Dorset which makes technical performance underwear to prevent chafing. Voted the UK's number one underwear and socks brand at the UK Running Awards, Runderwear is well known for designing seamless, moisture-wicking underwear that runners love. Runderwear is also the sports bra and underwear partner of England Athletics, and their sports bras also come with their chafery guarantee and are available in sizes 28A to 40H. Runderwear's biggest sale of the year goes live on Friday the 27th of November for their Black Friday event, with deep discounts across their entire product range. This is the only time of the year Runderwear offer discounts this big, making it the perfect time to stock up on your chafe-free essentials. Don't miss out. Visit www.runderwear.co.uk to get the best deals of the year. 
so yeah so um thank you for joining us on this podcast it's it's so lovely to speak to you um particularly now that you are basically famous oh don't don't i (laughs) it's it's so weird for me you know i spent so many years like just flying under the radar and uh yeah it's it's so weird honestly it's I got a gift the other day. I don't get gifts. <laughs> and, and this company sent me like these, because I had such a, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about the Cotswold Way 102, but I had such yeah. a nightmare with, with uh, nausea. And then I had this gift turn up and my husband's like, oh, get you. And I'm like, this is not me. Like, I don't get free things. So. You're going to be hashtag gifted from now on, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> Hey, as a mum of four with two grandchildren, my money is going on these kids left, right and centre. So I'm quite happy to get stuff for free. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Um, So uh, you are one of the seven founders of Black Trail Runners. Um, But we'll come on to that in a little bit, because first of all, I wanted to find out more about you and your running. So... um, like my god you do such incredible running and then we will talk about the the Cotswold way in a bit um which is my neck of the woods too so that's quite groovy oh wow we um but I'm right down the bottom so (laughs) how did you start running what made you want to give it a go you know what I hated running I think that's really really important to say because I know that there will be women listening to this podcast and the last thing I want to do for any woman is to is to make them think that I'm a superhero because I'm not I am not a superhero and I am not superwoman and I'm not any of those things that have super in front of their name. I'm literally, and my youngest child is um, 11. So when I was pregnant, so I have four children, I have a 24 year old, a 21 year old, I had a gap, then I've got a 14 year old and an 11 year old. So I used my pregnancies as an excuse to eat. I, I love food. There is nothing that I don't love about food. The only food I don't like is licorice. Um, <laughs> so I did everything they told me not to when I was pregnant. I ate just everything and anything because I would say, well, I'm pregnant. It's the only time as a woman that you, I feel you have free reign to eat whatever it is you want because you're growing a human inside you. So that led to me putting on five stone with my fourth pregnancy. And I wanted to, I hated running. I, I'd always hated running. I hated treadmill running. I would, had never run outside. But after I had Sicily, I, I was so ashamed of how much weight I had put on. I knew that I had grown a baby, but on the flip side of that, I... I knew that I was, as I was getting older, I was finding it increasingly more difficult to lose the weight after the babies. So I, I thought, what can I do? I didn't want to go to the gym. I was too ashamed of my body to go to the gym. I didn't want to be around the gym bunnies and the young girls and the, 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 the bros, you know, I, I just, I, I was very squidgy and very unfit. I had not been one of these Insta mums or mums that were keeping fit while pregnant. That was not with me. It was not how I operated. And I thought, what can I do? And into my mind went, it has to be something where you can be hidden. You can do it at your own pace and you're not having people who are looking at you and thinking, what's she doing here? Or 
And where I live, I live in the Cotswolds, so I'm very fortunate, and I know this, that two minutes away from my house was a canal towpath. So I live in a valley. And I thought, well, I could go there. No one's going to see me, or the people down there that are dog walking kind of don't care. And I can walk, run, or I can jog, walk, which is what it was. So I got on an old T-shirt, some really old trainers, some, some jogging pants, and headed down to the canal and that that one mile I remember it so clearly because I found it so difficult to even jog for a minute because my heart rate was spiking I couldn't breathe I couldn't talk this was before the whole couch to 5k app thing came out so I was very much I think I found something online that kind of was like walk for a minute, run for a minute. But I can remember thinking a minute was like horrendous. It was, I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. And I I remember getting to a mile because I had didn't even have a watch. So I was like, I know when I drive a mile is to here on the road. So I'll get to that bit on the canal. And I thought the world was caving and I thought there is no way I am going to be able to do this. But I walked home after that really slowly because I was, you know, beetroot red. <gasps> it was, it was, it was honestly horrendous. And I can remember getting in and my husband was like, my God, where have you been? What have you done? And I was like, I've just run, walked a mile. And I really let, I really thought, Oh, there's, there's going to be no way I'm going to be able to do this. But literally a couple of days after, because I couldn't walk the next day, you know, mm. the, the doms were real. And then once they started to subside, that feeling that I got after just doing that one mile was like there was this glimmer of of hope that maybe I can try that again. And maybe it won't feel as bad as it felt the next time I do it. Mm-hmm. So that encouraged me to, and the fact that I did something for myself, I was suffering with postnatal depression at that point. And what had, what had steered me into doing something for myself to help with the weight loss was going to the doctors and, and talking to them about how I was feeling and them as well as with medication and, 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 and talking support they said, you know, any form of exercise that you can do will help, you know, just mm-hmm. to give you a little bit of you time. And that spurred me to go out again and try it. And and yeah, like I didn't, I felt bad, but I didn't feel as bad as I had done the first time. So little by little, I increased the amount of rent, jogging time, decreased the amount of walking time, just like we do on couch to 5Ks these days. Mm. And the weight started to come off. But the bigger win was that I just started to feel a little bit more like me or the me that I was after having my fourth child. And that was massive to me because because I the, the postnatal depression was really... I was in the grips of it and and I having experienced it with other pregnancies and having experienced anxiety and depression through my life I knew what those triggers were and I knew that when I when my mind started to go to this place and 
you know, I, I didn't want to be around the children. Or I didn't want to be around the baby. I didn't want to be around my, like, I knew where that would take me if I didn't seek help. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and running, running that then and now is my, is, is my medicine. It's my, the way that I help. It's the way that I manage my anxiety and, and bouts of depression that I have. Um, but yeah, I really do. I don't want to get very somber, but I really do remember that that how that felt 11 years ago is still as fresh in my mind as running 102 miles two weeks ago. It hurt. <laughs> <laughs> it and then hurt. You went from there to discovering the trails. How, how did that journey happen? So I went from... Um, you know, running that, that first mile. And then what I did is step by step, little by little, I was like, okay, what, what is the goal to run 5k? So I did that over a period of time. And then after that, I've always been somebody that I I want to see from a physical point of view, even as a child, I think I wanted to prove people wrong. I wanted to show them that I can do this, even though they say I couldn't. So I went, from 5k and then I trained myself to 10k and then I trained myself to do my first half marathon for charity and then I wanted to run with other like-minded people so I joined a running club started to train for other half marathons and then marathon and then in 2016 I I thought what is what is this trail running you know what is it about I see people out on these trails and and I was like what's it about and I started to take my road running off-road um and it was the canal towpaths it was the common land it was the trails of the Cotswold Way and oh my god it opened up just the beauty of nature to me I've never been one of these people that's like oh very zen or oh the leaves and the the grass but my god I was like why would you run on roads when you can run on trails and you can be surrounded by trees and beauty and not have exhaust fumes you know inhaling those and and it was this like wow moment for me that the, the the clarity of mind that I got from running in that environment and and the sense of the sense of kind of self and that mental headspace was so different from the roads. And I was also having a bit of a crisis in my life at that point. I started my own business in 2004 and I worked in public relations. I ran a PR company and it was very work hard, play hard mentality, you know, and, 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 I was also, I found that I was not managing how I managed my stress well, my stress levels well. And I was starting to drink a little bit too much. You know, one glass of wine of an evening to chill out was leading to, you know, women will know. Women, you know, we know how it, but I had the clarity of mind to to know that I was heading down a path that um, would not be good for me. It would not lead to good things. And Mm -hmm. I decided to stop. I decided I needed to stop drinking alcohol. Um, I have a history of addiction in my family. So I grew up around active kind of addiction um, when it came to alcohol. So I know that I I believe I have that in me. And um, I 
when I gave up drinking, I needed something else to do. So, so I knew my 40th birthday was coming. I was 40 in 2018. And I thought, what, what can I do that is a healthy thing to do that on the 40th year of me being on this earth could really be a celebration of me, of, of, my personality and could be something that is a real adventure. And as I was having that thought process, I came upon a documentary on the Discovery Channel and it was James Cracknell and it was called The Toughest Foot Race on Earth. And isn't it weird how these things happen? I wasn't looking for it. I'd heard about this weird marathon in the Sahara Desert, but because I hated running in the heat, running on sand, running with anything on me that would weigh me down. Um, I never entertained that, but I watched this documentary and I was intrigued. I was scared, scared beyond all, you know, anything that I'd ever done before. It was so different to anything that I'd ever attempted. But you know what? I watched it and I watched this Olympian, this man being sick, and being delusional and this crazy race where you carry everything on your back and you're self-sufficient for six days and your feet, all oh, the feet get totally ruined. And I came off watching that and this, again, this thing inside me was like, I wonder if I can do that. I wonder if me, this mum of four, who has never done anything like this before, I wonder if I could do that. And it set me on this path of focusing on it and just absolutely addictively reading and watching anything to do with the Marathon Day Saab to then what I call like step two in my kind of using my anxiety to accomplish journey to, to commit to doing it, which was to put the money down because it's an expensive race. But so many people had said to me, are you going to have a party for your 40th? Are you going to go on an amazing holiday for your 40th? And I was like, well, I would probably be doing that, spending this kind of money anyway. Yeah. And I can remember the day that the uh, registrations for the 2018 MDS came out and I was, you know, I was there, I was ready because I didn't want to miss it because I knew if I missed it, it would be an excuse not to do it. And, And I got in and I can remember emailing the race organizers and saying I just want to check that I got in and they were like yes Sabrina your (laughs) money has been taken your deposit and you're in and then it was like oh I'm in now what um and that's how I got into starting to run ultra marathons so obviously ultra marathon for those women or or men or whoever listening that don't know is anything over 26.2 miles is considered an ultra marathon. And the Marathon so, de Sable was your first? Yeah. So it was, well, it was the first that I wanted to do, but within my training, so I trained for it for 18 months. So within that training cycle, I did two ultra marathons because my coach, um, I enlisted the help of a coach because I wanted to do it properly. And me being me, anyone that follows me on Instagram or has seen anything, I, I I like to, I believe in the power of coaching. I believe in the power of, of having a really close knit tribe to help you achieve those things that you want to. And, and I believe in the power of 
learning from people who have been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Um, that's what helps me to manage my anxiety because if I'm being coached by somebody that knows what it's like to do the, a six day ultramarathon in the Sahara knows what happens to your feet, knows what happens to your mind that helps me feel more prepared. So I used Elizabeth Barnes who'd won it twice. Wow! (laughs) because I'd I'd looked at lots of coaches I had a really bad experience with a male coach who shall remain nameless but um did not really I believe understand how to coach women and kind of basically kind of stood me in front of a mirror and kind of told me to look at myself and and shout at myself as to why I didn't believe that I could do this and and then basically wanted to put me on a diet which was basically eating lettuce leaves and it was it was really really just really bad and I then looked around for other people and Elizabeth's name kept coming up and I thought oh I can't be coached by her she's an elite and she has won it twice but she's a coach she coaches everyone and anyone if 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 they've got the right mindset and they want to dedicate to that so within the coaching that we worked on together because she had to understand what my life commitments were like, you know, with, with working and with the kids and with being a wife and, and, um, and, and we worked together on this kind of 18 months, 18 month plan, which was broken down to kind of like three month cycles. So as part of that, I had to do two ultra marathons and my first ever ultra marathon was the race to the stones, which oh, was yeah. um, a two day hundred K over two days and oh my god i loved it i loved that race i it was two marathons a marathon one day marathon the next and you you stay in like a big campsite overnight and it was great they had like yoga in this campsite and it was like a real festival atmosphere mm. i think it was a really great intro to multi stage ultras if you're if you're kind of looking for that and and i placed you know high i was like top 10 women And I was like, oh, my God, like, I'm just really enjoying it. And I'm doing really well as well, because I that wasn't the aim. The aim wasn't to place. It was to just enjoy the experience and understand what my body did, you know, at that level. And and then I did another 100K in one go. So it was the Thames Path Challenge. It was 100K in one go. And that was to kind of try and replicate the night stage or the, what they call the long day in the marathon day Saab, where you run, I think it was like 86K in one go. And that was, that was really, that took me to deep, dark places because the tennis path is pretty flat. There's not a lot of up and down. And, um, and it was, yeah, it was a more of a mental struggle than anything. But again, I placed high up um, in the rankings there and that gave me the confidence to go into the Marathon Day Saab knowing that I I had done everything that I needed to do with those ultramarathons and a couple of trail ultramarathons that I'd done because the MDS, because none of them, those marathons were in the, the heat, you know, 35 to 40 degree heat um, on sand, going up sand dunes where you're losing your foot and then you're going up into sand to your knees. So I knew that the MDS would take me to areas that I'd never been to in my training, but I did absolutely everything in my power to try and replicate what it would be like running in the desert. Did you have to do a sort of heat training as well? Yeah, I did. I did. I, the university, a lot of universities around the UK, especially if they have quite decent sports science departments have heat chambers. Mm. 
So I made contact with my local university, University of Gloucestershire, and they have a, a climatization chamber there. Uh, so for two weeks before I went to the desert, I went into the heat chamber. So it's it's basically like a metal box with a little window where the scientists can watch you and they increase the heat. You wear everything you'll be wearing and carry in your pack everything that you're carrying. And what they're looking to do is they're looking to manage your heart rate so that you don't get into very dangerous levels when you're running in heat. Um, which will cause heat exhaustion, which then your body will start to break down, et cetera, et cetera. So for two weeks, we increased the temperature and the amount of running that I was doing in order to get that, um, to get my heart rate not spiking and in levels that were safe and that my body was actually dealing with running in heat. It was such a weird experience. If anyone's ever done anything like that, it was... It's intriguing. The way the body responds to stress is intriguing to me. I'm a personal trainer and run coach as well. But um, to be to be under the under the um, watchful eye of sports scientists and they're writing down all of your data and and you can they you can see day to day kind of how your body's starting to adapt to running in a temperature which is unfamiliar in the UK mm. and over the course of two weeks how your heart rate isn't spiking as much or your sweat rate isn't as much because you're so getting used to it. So actually when I got to the desert, for me, the heat, the heat really wasn't too much of an issue because I invested my time and financially in order to really experience that and to get my body ready before I went out there, whether, whereas there were many people out there that, that really were suffering. And as a sensitive mum, you know, uh, that I'm a caregiver, you want to, you want to help people as much as you can, but there's only so much you can do at the at, when you're out in the race at the MDS because you've got to look after yourself, number mm. one. So how was it? How was the race? Oh my god, it was the it was the most um, beautiful, uh, life affirming, um, push you to your limits, deep dark experience. So so many highs and lows, so many wow moments you're you're atop a ridge you know a mountain ridge in the Sahara and to your left is miles and miles of dunes and jebels which are the mountains over there and then you actually can't believe that you're here in this iconic race with men and women all on their own journeys and just to make it to the start line of something like that is a massive thing you know I can remember standing at the start line and thinking I can't believe I've made it here. I'm not injured. I'm ready to go. I'm strong. And just to get there, so many people don't even make that. Never mind mums of four, but so many men and strong men and Marines, you know, people that do it, people that train and they get injured along the way, even in the, the week, the lead up to it. I was in a I was in a group a WhatsApp group and people were saying oh such and such has gone down with this illness so he's not going to go you know and you realize just how amazing the body is to to be able to get you through 18 months of training to get you there but also when you're out there and you know I really found the long stage hard because I'd made some silly mistakes with uh, my kit that meant that I wasn't able to eat a hot meal through 86k um so when everyone else at a checkpoint was having their hot meal of 
1,500 calories, which would give their body that fuel in the furnace to get them to the end. I realized I didn't have a, it was a little piece of foil, which would act as a windbreak around my burner. Mm. And in the, the three days before that, I'd been fortunate because when I'd got back to my tent, other tent mates had had their little bits of foil and I would say, oh, can I just loan yours? Mm. Didn't even think about it on the long stage. And then I got to where I needed to eat and I couldn't get my stove to light. It was too windy. And I was so depleted of energy at that point. And I knew I still still had about 25 miles to go in the dark. Mm. And I... I was like, what am I going to do? Like, how am I, you know, you start to get really, really like, oh my God, what am I going to do? And I couldn't eat anything hot. I couldn't get it to light. And yeah, there were other people around me that that had their foil, but you've got to understand in that situation, everyone is feeling exactly the same. Mm. And I didn't feel I could ask, look, can I hold you up by borrowing your foil? Because it wasn't right. It wasn't fair. It was my fault. I, I made a mistake. So I had to dip into my rations, my cold rations for the next day, which were things like soaring banana bread, malt loaf. You know, it's all right as a little snack, but it's not all right as a main meal and crisps. Mm. And it was, it was not the right fuel. And, and that set me up for an absolute dark death march towards the finish line on that day Mm. the other mistake i've made is that with the mds you're trying to keep your backpack as light as possible so when we got to the desert on day one is where you have to really decide what it is you're going to keep and what you're going to give to the 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 marshals to take back that you're not going to have and i thought i would be fine just with like a long sleeve technical um top that would keep me warm So I decided not to take my lightweight down jacket. And that was one of the biggest mistakes I could make because you are hungry and you're using all your calories up during the day and your body gets so cold at night, trying to repair those muscles ready for the next day. And I was just cold. And in the night stage, after not having a hot meal, And being in the night alone, I was on my own. I wasn't with anyone. Mm. I was so cold, you know, shaking and just, I can remember just, I mean, people listening can't hear it, but I was just hugging my own body to try and warm myself up. And I mean, it was so dark. I was so, I can remember sobbing into the night. Really, It was more, it was not a sob. It was a howl. It was a howling into the night because mentally I had gone to a place of berating myself for being so silly as to not to have the foil to eat, have my warm food, which I was so looking forward to Mm. these little things. When you're doing races like this, it's the little, they say it's the little things that break you. It's not the big things. It's the little things that you might forget to do or think you don't need to do. Those are the things that break ultra runners. And I remember just feeling really mentally broken. And I don't want to get upset. I always get upset when I think about this stage. But it was so hard to get through because into your mind when you're in that low state, whether it's through depression or anxiety or whether you're just in the latter stages of an ultramarathon, 
you start to remember pivotal points in your life where you felt low, you know, you felt, um, you felt not good enough. And I, I suffer with imposter syndrome. I always think to myself, am I supposed to be here? I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not good enough to do this. I'm not strong enough to do this. Like that happens a lot, especially when I'm, I'm feeling depressed or I'm, uh, or I'm in ultra marathons and, I just, you know, I can remember doing the death march and all I could see, which was linking me to people that loved me, was my satellite tracker on my shoulder, which was intermittently beeping and sending this signal to a satellite, which is rebounding down. And I knew my husband would be watching the blue dot and to see where I was. But I just went so mentally low in terms of like asking myself, saying like, you know, saying out loud in the desert, like, you shouldn't be here. What? Why did you think you could do this? You're not good enough. You're going to die in the desert. You're going to die here. You know, your kids are at home. You're so self. You know, all of these negative voices. And I was just sobbing. And, and, and then I remember having just this, I, I think a runner had gone by me and and their light had shone in a way that it kind of almost, created and maybe it was delusions but it created this optical illusion where it looked like there were three of me to get like three shadows of me together and Mm. and then I just had this tremendous feeling of not being alone like no even though I was physically alone I wasn't really alone and and I and and then I I thought I can remember thinking to myself you're not alone like you might feel all of these feelings, but you know that so many women don't make it even here. Like so many women who see races like this, they, 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 they seem so big to them that they don't feel they have the support or the physical or mental strength, even to go through the training. Like those people that were watching me, those people that were looking at my tracker, those people strangers who I didn't know who were sending emails that every night at MDS, when you get back, it's called the MDS mail. And any email that's sent to MDS and is it quotes your number is printed out and it's given to you. So every night I would have just piles of emails from people that some, most, a lot of who I knew, but loads that I didn't know that had just heard about what I was doing and they were like, you know, Sabrina, you don't know me, but you've inspired me. I've gone out today and I've run, you know, I get so thinking thinking about it, but they were like, you know, I've run a mile. And it was just, I remembered them, you know, and I was just, I can remember thinking, I'm not alone. I'm not alone. Come on, Sabrina, come on. Like you, you, you've got my Garmin had stopped at that point. So I actually didn't know how long I got to go because everything was given up. But it just gave me that feeling of knowing that even though I was there on my own, that I wasn't alone, that I had this support help me just to head down. Come on. If you get to the end, when you get to the end and you cross that under that gantry, you will be able to get warm again. You'll be able to sleep. You'll be able to sort out your feet. You'll be able to tomorrow you've earned um, some time off because if you finish the long stage in a decent time, you 
you you're able to kind of get the next day off so they give you a long time to finish the long stage because some people it takes a long time to do 86k so they'll go into the next day whereas if you do it in a good enough time you get to rest that day so I knew that I'd get to rest a bit more and have my hot food and it was those things that kept me going and I knew I would be a day closer to finishing a day closer to seeing my family a day closer to getting that MDS medal around my neck and that's what kept me going that and knowing that I was supported and that I wasn't alone and that again having knowing where my anxiety and depression takes me it wants me down there it wants me feeling not worthy that I'm an imposter that I'm not good enough to be here I'm not white enough to be here I'm not I'm not I'm 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 too too black to be here you know it's it's that's where that's where it wants me so I I have to do and I have to use all the tools at my disposal to to survive that those feelings and yeah that that was the really dark stage but you know I think we all go th- we can all go through that it doesn't matter if you're in the desert you know it do- it, it doesn't matter you know even even on starting out running you you can you can just feel so like as I said I don't know how I'm going to do this mile but you try and employ the tools and the inspiration of people around you to think well they did it so maybe I can do it too yeah I think that that self-doubt and that imposter syndrome I think that's just virulent it's just we it feels like we all feel that to some degree Mm. for Mm. something to do with our running so um how much of that are you is kind of influencing the way that you set up black trail runners i mean did you use that experience as something that led into it what what was what was your motivations i think that what running has given me as um as a mixed race um woman is is a place to work through a lot of the trauma that I've experienced growing up with uh, rural, you know, with racism. I live in a town which is 99.9% white. I grew, I lived here, I I moved here when I was two with my mother. Um, And for many, many, many years, I I didn't have, uh, I didn't have a way to, something to use as an outlet for a lot of the, 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 verbal abuse physical abuse that I experienced being the odd one out being a a mixed race although racialized as black in my you know a a girl and woman so I think that what I found through trail running and ultra running is is a is another tool in my toolbox in order to work through some of that stuff you know in order to 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 feel as though I'm in a, a space or in a process which helps me to use the mental strength that I've had to I've had to build in order to um, fight racism in order to fight racism personally Um, and now with with going into you know in July launching black trail runners um, I want that for black people you know I want that for black women um, you know, because as much as black people are 
not are underrepresented within trail running black women women in ultra running and trail running are massively underrepresented there's been so much work as you know being women's running done to increase participation of females in running in uh in ultra running in anything over 26.2 you know ultra running is predominantly middle class it's predominantly white it's predominantly male so as women we're underrepresented and but as black women we we i don't see and again one of the reasons for setting up black trail runners with my co-founders is i don't see people that look like me at trail running so tell me why that is i think that it's uh about representation it's about not seeing in uh media uh, magazines online um hearing on uh vlogs or podcasts etc women of color who are doing ultra marathon races or are, or are using trail running as a way to manage their mental health or as a way to deal with trauma experience through everyday racism um, i think there's especially since the rise of black life matters movement I think we're seeing more of that and I commend, um, you know, magazines and, and media that are having honest conversations internally and therefore externally about the lack of representation. So I think representation being who you can see is, is a real thing. Mm. And, um, I didn't, you know, I didn't see anybody. I can't sit here and say to you now, the reason I took up trail running or the reason that I was inspired to go to ultramarathon distance was because I saw a black or mixed race woman doing it. I didn't. And so that's, that's a big thing because I do believe that, you know, from a, from being a, a young mixed race or black person, you are looking for people to look up to that look like you. And if you, if, if you don't see people that look like you, you start to think, what's the reason for that why am i not seeing myself represented in sports marketing campaigns or why am i why am i only seeing myself being represented as a runner when the word urban is used mm. you know why am i why am i not see being represented when um people are running in the countryside you know when you see campaigns because we're as you know we're hit with that stuff all the time and i think what so i think that's one aspect the other two areas that we really know that there are barriers when it comes to access so 97 percent of the black population in the uk live in cities in or around cities and that comes from you know from windrush where we people were bought you know communities were brought over in order to help with the rebuilding of of the uk and therefore you know cities etc and and generationally then you're kind of you know you will you will be present or you will grow around where your your families etc are so mm-hmm. we know that we know that the urbanization of black people has happened so and and access to green space is an issue in terms of transportation. It's an issue in terms of financial. 
it's an issue in terms of, and this is something I only found out from one of our co-founders uh, the other day, the South Downs Ways, the South Downs Way, which many people will be familiar of, um, is owned, the land is owned by 12 people. Can you believe this? 12 people. And those 12 people are white people. Mm. And that land has been handed down through generations. And if you look at the land around the UK, it's really only owned by a very small handful of people. Now, as a black or uh, as, as a black trail runner, some of the everyday lived experiences is when you are running trails is being seen as a bit of an oddity. Mm-hmm. You know, it's this kind of unconscious bias that we all have. It doesn't matter whether you're white, whether you're black, you know, we have unconscious bias. There's been various studies that you can take, which can kind of give you results on on your unconscious bias. So I know that I've had, and you know, you're looking at me now, you know, I'm light, I'm light skinned. Um, and I still have been running on trails or running in the countryside and have families or people jump out of my way and kind of almost look and grab as if I'm going to do something. I'm going to do, you know, say something or I'm, I'm not the friendly person that those that know me know that I am. And, and that happens daily to black people, you know? So, so the countryside whether people want to believe it or not, the countryside is seen as is is seen as a white space. So therefore, black people, if they feel as if these spaces aren't safe spaces, from a mental perspective, from an unconscious and conscious bias perspective, from a over or or more um internalized racism perspective again it's another barrier to access those spaces so we're looking at access we're looking at working with at grassroots level in terms of how can we help more black people black men and women to feel that the countryside the trails are as much a space for them as they are for white people and that's about using our experiences as trail runners to guide trail runs for brand new pe- brand new people that maybe road run or maybe don't even road run but want to see what this trail running is all about it's about um putting on eventually races um you know that are predominantly for black people who want to be feel that they're in a safe environment and they're not gonna maybe have that you look around a start line and think where are the black people where are the people that look like me Mm -hmm. it's about working with brands working and having really uncomfortable conversations sometimes with with sports brands about why they feel that black people aren't a target market for them in terms of whether they're a mountain sports brand or a trail running or an outdoor sports brand. It's about saying to them, you know, you need to look at your own staff internally and look at how many black people you have um, working for you or on your board of directors. Because ultimately, when you're planning these campaigns, if you don't have people within your organization who you can honestly have a conversation with and say, 
what are the issues for you? What's happening? If you're coming from a place of, of not having that diversity internally, mm. you're always going to be at a disadvantage of trying to market to black people. So do you think that the UK is specifically bad at this? Are there other countries out there that have got things a bit better? I think it's, you know what, I think it's, it's not just the UK. I mean, obviously we're UK black trail runners. Oh, well, we're all based in the UK as black trail runners. But what we've seen since launching the community and the campaigning arm of the community is this is a global issue. We, we, we felt that actually we didn't want to, we didn't want to, um, not believe isn't the right word, but we didn't want to say, oh, this is a global issue because we believed, and I believe, that actually maybe the US, United States have got more of a handle on this or maybe um, other parts of the world have got a better handle on this. But actually what's happened is that we have been contacted by brands, big brands um, from the US, from Canada, who have said, this is as much of an issue here as it is for you in the UK. Mm. We want, you know, we, we almost want to work with you to take what you're doing and globalize it. So, you know, as you can imagine, there's only seven of us and we're all volunteers. So we have to be really, really conscious of kind of where our time's placed. And, and, and we want to very much focus on, on the change that we can make within our little Island. Um, but, we are being contacted from globally. This is an issue. I mean, the conversation that we have on our first podcast, the Black Trail Runners podcast, which is launching on Saturdays with Corey Waltering, who is a black, um, gay, ult- elite ultra runner. Mm. And and he's he's trying to do the same thing over in the US. You know, the same issues, access, skills and representation. Um these are you know there are three tenets it's what we set ourselves up to address but this is a this is a global issue you know the lack of representation of black people in trail running is is a global issue and so you've had um this huge response from global brands and what what's been the response like from runners it was really it's been um it's been a largely positive let's say that largely positive certainly from the black community absolutely you know comments such as i feel seen comments such as finally somewhere for us you know a a safe space because our community is very much um especially the facebook community that we um that we have created is 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 a is a closed group um and it's for black people who want to uh, share in their lived experiences in a safe environment where they're not going to get comments such as oh how woke are you or running is for everyone all you need is a pair of trainers all running lives matter you know these are comments that since we have come out have been put our way Mm. um because People love running, don't they? They love running. And, and running is promoted as this very inclusive, all you need is a pair of trainers, anyone can do it. Mm. And we, you know, we, we, we believe that, you know, we want to believe that. We, we love our running. We, so therefore, when something that I think that you wholeheartedly have spent years and years believing in, that it's it's very accessible it's very 
for everyone. When, when you're hearing or being told, actually, what you believe to be true isn't actually the case. And here are the reasons. You're either in a phase of your life where you want to educate yourself around that and you'll be open to listening to the experiences of others and doing a bit of self work Mm -hmm. on being anti-racist or you're in a phase of your life you're learning where you're like absolutely not what you're saying is wrong and I will not listen and I will continue to say running is for everyone all you need is a pair of trainers and so that's 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 what we're hit with and and it's not just us as black trail runners you know whether you are a woman and you know you're coming against you know barriers to participation too simply because as a woman you know I say as a black as, as a black person but as a woman I stand on those start lines and I look around and I'm lots of white middle class men between 40 and 60 and you're like where are the women and you know you'll see a woman on it and you'll be like high five the women or (laughs) socially distance elbow the women or whatever but it's it's you know as a woman you know you're saying to a man well you know we are underrepresented in trail running and you know the the comments that I've had about that are like well more women should do it if they want to do it and and there's no for some males there is no understanding as to the issues and the barriers that we have as women to enable us to train in that way you know we have the you know the the main caregivers normally I know that there are for our children the household you know I know a lot of runners and I know a lot of ultra runners and as women represented you know there are issues there so some people are just willing to listen and have the conversation and accept that it's going to be uncomfortable because it is uncomfortable. But, you know, as a black woman, I've been having those uncomfortable conversations all my life Mm. and I'm not scared to have them because I know that uncomfortable conversations lead to change, but you're either willing to, you're willing to look to change or you're not. And I think that, even within the running community, um, there are people that are willing to listen and work to help to make change. And there are people that just aren't. And, and It's really sad, isn't it? I, I've, um, I've seen a lot of that, particularly in light of the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, like, I think it's quite easy for those of us of a particular persuasion to kind of see running and runners as being, as being all inclusive. Absolutely. Um, and, and thinking of runners as being all this kind of um, very sort of happy, um, a, a sort of happy running family sort of thing. And so when, when you do read those sorts of comments, um, like I've read some absolutely horrific comments under mm. Black Lives Matter statements, mm. I just think that that can't be a runner. That's not a runner. Mm. You know, all yeah. runners are happy and lovely and yeah. and huggy and nice. And and it turns out some of them are just horrific. Yeah, and um, and that's. I think we have to remember that as um, as this this massive you know worldwide tribe of runners is that that there are still you you can still be a bleep 
and be a runner you know you're not yeah it turns out it does and you know I think I think the worst thing or the worst you know because I'm 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 a sensitive soul and I internalize especially you know with kind of you know anxiety and everything like that I I internalize comments you know and 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 you still ask yourself um, is what we you know we do as a as black trail runners our co-founders the seven of us you know I, I remember when um the runner's world podcast first came out and it was myself and Sonny um who were talking about you know because we um because we had basically I had been in a conversation with runner's world just when black lives matter was happening because of a photo that was used on the cover that it turned out was five years old and and I challenged that and then we had a some conversations uncomfortable conversations and and the work over the months led to the podcast and then it led to me being on the cover of the October issue mm. which is crazy by the way I still kind of can't believe it <laughs> um but I can remember when that um when the podcast runners runners uh, sorry I don't want to promote another magazine I, I can't remember whether you're in the That's same all right. or not. I don't feel <laughs> but um yeah, but I can remember when the podcast came out and, and and it was promoted on social and within like a minute of the the podcast promotional um thing coming out there were people saying this is crap, you know, this is not right. Oh, it's runner's world trying to be woke. Oh, running is for everyone. And the thing is, those people couldn't have even listened to the podcast because it had only just gone live. Mm. And that's the thing is like, if you're not even willing to listen and to to take on board what is our lived experience. This is not us saying this happened to someone else. We're saying these things have happened to us. This is what we've experienced. And this is why we're doing what we're doing. If you're not even willing, if you're, if you will negate our lived experiences without even listening to us, it's not us that have got to do the work. It's you. Um, And, and, and it, sometimes really it sometimes really does get to me and I have to just take a little step back and use the tools in my toolbox in order to manage that but um largely I want to say largely the response has been positive from certainly black people and white allies too Mm, good and you um recently did you wrote an open letter to event directors can you tell me what that was about and the response we did because we as well as being the community we we believe that you know we we, there needs to be action and that action has to come from um from campaigning so the first thing we knew we wanted to do we we know that there is a problem with um with equality um and with the numbers of of black people who trail run so we know this, we see it, but we wanted to be able to, to in order to inform future policy making decisions, in order to really be able to sit at the table and have those conversations at boardroom level with with brands and with magazines and with media, etc. We know that it's important for us to have the data. So what we did is we said, okay, at the moment in many races, many UK races, when you register, you 
are not asked or there aren't the options when it comes to um, ethnicity in order to really for race organizations to understand who you are, why you're, you know, so Mm -hmm. there, there aren't enough races that actually incorporate those boxes when you're going for a race or uh, when you're applying to be in a race. Um, And we know that because we've done races and and we're not asked the question. So therefore, how can you address a problem or how as a race director, can you really work in order to create change when you don't actually know how many of your entrants are black or are brown or, or are, you know, or, or, you know, fall under the Bane banner, black being Mm. kind of one of those. So we composed an open letter um, which we sent to over 40 UK uh, race organisers or event directors and we promoted that on our Instagram channel. And what that was asking for basically is, as I've said to you, we want to be able to quantify from a data point of view what we believe to be true in order to inform, in order to provide a benchmark in terms of where actually are you now and where and to see if the work that we do over the or over the months and over the years actually helps to address those numbers. Um, so we launched that, and the response that we have had from race organisers has been really uh, promising. Um, really wanting to work with us, it, not only to include those ethnicity questions but actually what more can we do what more can we do in order to help to enable more black people to experience trail running and that has been um you know from a representation point of view you know if they have podcasts asking us to be on there writing articles for their website um offering their skills in order to help us to put on trail running uh, taster days. So at the end of this month, we are holding our first black trail runners trail running taster afternoon. And that's in conjunction with a fab um, supporter of ours, Centurion running um, who do ultra marathons in beautiful locations across the UK. So they're lending their skills in in how to run up a hill in a trail because there are certain ways you do it you know what kit to use um, and it's aimed at everyone so you don't need to be an ultra runner to come you you know there's going to be different distances and so it's actually people's time that they've been giving you as well and saying look we really want to help how can we help tell us how we can help so we've it's just been really you know what it's been really um it's really filled my cup in some aspects because it's made me realize that actually us being vocal about this as an issue has caused people to think wow like there really are issues here Mm -hmm. there really is this lack of access skills representation and what more can we do not just the ethnicity data how can we really in this time as well of, of the pandemic you know, but how can we actually really be of support to you in other ways? And and it's been it's been beautiful to see. Of course, there have been some organisers that haven't come back to us, um, and that makes that makes me kind of a bit sad. Um, especially those brands that in the past I've invested in in terms of doing their races. Mm-hmm. Um, 
we've ex- we've seen quite a lot of um, uh, excuses for not doing anything. Um, COVID, the pandemic being a big, you know, being some of that. Mm. Um, but you know, the way I see it is that yeah, we are in this really bizarre time um, where we're all struggling to find a, a new normal. But you know what? For many, many, many years, this lack of representation, this lack of access, we've been living with this day to day to day. So this is not normal for us, but this is something that that we have and are working day in, day out to change, be it in a pandemic or not. Mm. Um, so I don't, I don't see us being in a pandemic as a good enough excuse not to do something. Sure. Yeah. I I mean, I think the education that you're providing um, above, well, along with everything else is um, so fundamental. It's so important because I mean, just even imagining like you were talking about a kind of a white middle-aged middle-class bloke who might be in charge of putting on an event, a trail running event that is then peopled mostly by white middle-aged men. Yeah. Um, how is he going to realise that, that there's something, you know, there's something that needs to change there unless yeah. he's pulled up short by Absolutely. someone else? Absolutely. And I, you know, I never wanted to be, I never set out to be an, an activist. I never set out to be, I never, I, we, we don't want there to, and it's really important to say this, you know, we, we don't, we want to be at a place where we don't need to have a black trail runners group community because there, because there is equality and equity in trail running. The reason that we're here, the reason that we're set because there isn't, and you're absolutely right. You've hit the nail on the head. There are no black race organizers in the UK, just like, you know, you take that onto run on, onto football, just like there are only a handful of black football managers mm. in the UK. But there are a lot of black football players. That doesn't ring true for trail running, but we want to increase that. And you're absolutely right. At the end of the day, it comes down to stakeholders. So because the majority of race organizers in the UK are white. And they are of that demographic um, of, you know, 40 to 60 something or, um, you know, and, and they they are they want to do what their stakeholders want them to do. So if they've got a high proportion of 40 to 60 something middle aged white men and they're quite happy earning their money that way and growing that way, kind of why change? And what we're saying is because what you do is not encouraging people of colour to this amazing experience. Please, if you can just help us with one thing, which is to help to quantify the data, which will help us to not only communicate these educational messages, but to talk to, you know, government, to talk to sports organisations about this. If you aren't willing just to help us with that one thing, I think it's a really poor show. Uh, it's not a massive ask. It really isn't. And 
That was our first campaign. And, and yeah, as I said, you know, there is still work to do. We're, we're really trying to enable our community now. So we're saying as runners, as white allies, one thing you can really do to help mm-hmm. is if you're, if you're entered for races and you look around you or you know because you've done them before that you don't see black people, ask, email the race organiser and say, what are you doing in order to enable more access for black people in trail running? And if they say nothing give them our details and getting them to talk to us because you know there's one thing that they can be doing so and that's starting to happen and that's really nice to see that the workload or the the message being shared and people saying to us and I actually did email you know or actually yeah because it is those stakeholders which will help to make that change for those for those people that aren't don't feel as though they're yet ready to make it i think that that's where the power of community and the power of allyship can really help to change this small area of sport mm-hmm. but for us as runners a very important aspect of our lives yeah absolutely so this is this is your first campaign yeah. as black trail runners um what are your plans for the next sort of step or the next 12 months i think that our next step is that we really want to to be looking at the access alongside representation so as i mentioned before we really want to start to try to bring uh bring trail runners together black trail runners white allies together in order to really create more opportunity for physical access to trails So as I said, the first trail tester weekend is at the end of this month. We're already within the community. um, Various members are starting to put on their own UK um, social distance runs. Mm -hmm. Um, So people, if we have people in London, they're already starting to say, hey, does anybody fancy going out and trying this trail? Um, Putting on kind of more. And we do have to obviously really bear in mind, you know, the the power of six rule now and everything like that but we're trying to really really engage at that grassroots level um so you'll see more events um from black trail runners happening and being promoted to actually get get us together we are also going to be doing more um using zoom the power of zoom or the power of online platforms in order to help to educate as well so we're going to be seeing more skills-based stuff so from navigation (laughs) to what kit do you need what are the basic kit that you need to trail run a lot of people you know that are maybe road running are like well if i'm going to be in mud and on stones and you know a pair of road shoes might not cut it so we'll be we'll be looking at kind of kit essentials so almost breaking down trail running skills that are needed from how to run on trails what to take how not to get lost how to keep yourself safe we're going to be doing more and more of these virtual skill sessions in order to really give people that confidence in order to think okay well I might not have been able to get out on a run with kind of 30 other people because of the pandemic we're in, but I took part in a couple of online sessions. I can see that there's a little, maybe a little tester, um, small group weekend or, or a couple of hour thing happening. So you're going to see from black trail runners, more community um, initiatives um, for grassroots level starting to happen to really 
start to impact, we hope, upon those numbers of people that you will see at races next year or you will see at events next year. Um, so I think that's very much going to inform part of our strategy going forward. And it's already starting to inform the strategy. We've also got some um, some larger brands, those sports brands that that we have had uncomfortable conversations with that are starting to want to support us um, with um, funding for initiatives that we'll be put on it, pushing on as well. Um, so that's starting to kind of start to come to fruition. But, you know, I go back to, you know, we're seven volunteers <laughs> with families of our own and we have to manage um, our time as effectively as possible. So, we, we really want the, to have that engagement within the communities to give people the skills to able to be for them to be able to feel I now I can go out there and I can instigate this thing on behalf of black trail runners because it's it's a community it's we're not a business we're literally just trying to trying to enable access and and trying to answer the question of why are there not more black trail runners? And so what can we do? What can we do as a magazine, mm. but what can we do as runners? Um, you know, the audience to this podcast, what, what can we do to help enable that? E- some easy wins. Number one, if you are at events, whether it's a virtual event, whether it's uh, a a face-to-face event that's being held under COVID secure, look around you. And if you see black trail runners, speak to them, speak to them. If you don't see as many as you would like to see, speak to the event organizers, ask a marshal. Better than that though, email in and ask them what they are doing in order to enable more black people to trail run. And if you believe that their response isn't what you'd like to see, point them our way, get them to talk to us. Um, The the other thing is, you know, become an ally with us, you know, follow us on Instagram, get involved in our campaigns. You know, we have white allies within our community as well. So help us to communicate that message. Help us by sharing the content that we put in by getting involved in the conversation. There are so many resources out there that you can read, that you can listen to, share that stuff. Because the more that we share about what the issues are, who knows who you may be sharing with, you know, that helps to instigate change. You know, if you're part of a running club, um, which many of us, you know, many of us are, many of us aren't, but, you know, I'm do I'm chairing a, um, a forum tomorrow for UK athletics, all about race um, in, in running clubs, in athletics. So, you know, if you're part of a running club and again, you look around you, ask them what they're doing about equality, you know, ask them what they're doing about looking at the BAME community and how your running club um, seeks to improve membership amongst those communities. Just, I think what I would say is just look up and look around you when you are out running or when you're at events or when you're with your club and ask yourself the question, 
what am I seeing? What am I not seeing? And how can I help? We have a support document, actually, um, which we're more than happy to send out, which we created um, for people who are saying, what more can we do to support? So if you um, email us or, or if you're on Instagram, so blacktrailrunners.com is our website address. So if you want more ideas, um, you can email through there and we can send you the document to share however you want to. Um, or you can DM us on Instagram or DM me personally and I'll, I can get that to you. Um, but we have, so we're starting to have more collateral that can be shared. Um, as I said, we're launching the Black Trail Runners podcast this week. Um, we talk, we're talking about issues on there. We're having interviews with trail runners, elites, non-elites about their lived experiences. So engage with us there, help us to spread the word. And, you know, today women's running are helping, you know, we've, we've been on the call now for almost an hour and a half, but, and I know it will be edited down, but, but I want to thank you for this because, you know, as a woman and um, as a black trail runner, I know that there will be women that listen to this and men that listen to this even <laughs> that won't have heard of me before, won't have heard of black trail runners before. Um, and you can really help us. You can really help us just by helping us to educate, listening to what we say and talking to other runners that you know about it and talking to those organizations that you use that you buy the products from as to why am i not seeing more people of color represented in what you're selling me mm. in the races that i'm going to in the events that i'm going to you can really help and i always say small steps lead to massive change and i've seen that even over even since the end of july when we set up black trail runners I say to myself, just do one small thing every day, Sabrina. If you can just do one small thing, those small things add up and they really make and lead to massive change. And believe me, they really do. So no matter how small you think this thing is, it, with everything else that's going on, can help lead to massive change. I hope you love listening to Sabrina as much as I enjoyed talking to her. Make sure you follow Black Trail Runners on Instagram. It's a brilliantly inspirational feed. And don't forget to go to www.runderwear.co.uk to pick up the best deals on Black Friday. This episode was recorded over Zoom. The editor and composer was David Newman. And my mic is the podcast pro from Sontronics. Please hit like and subscribe. That way you won't miss the next episode and you'll cheer me up no end. At Women's Running, we want to inspire you to run whether you've never run before or you're training for your fifth ultramarathon. We think that women who run need a space for themselves and we want to be that. Every month we talk all things running and all things women, from training plans for specific distances to interviews with incredible runners, ideas on how to improve your running and remain injury-free, to delicious recipes to fuel your running and tons of advice on women's health. The easiest way to get hold of a copy is to go to our online shop at shop dot womensrunning.co.uk or you could get it delivered direct to your door or to your inbox every month by subscribing you can buy the digital edition at pocketmags.com or download the app to your phone or tablet through your app store for all the different ways to read the magazine go to shop 
www.womensrunning.co.uk. Do join us. We would love to have you with us. Happy running. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.